Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. Hopefully you guys Hi, everyone. are enjoying your day, afternoon, evening, whenever you decide to listen to this. I'm sure we could probably look at analytics and like figure out when people mostly listen, but I think that's what I like about podcasts <laughs> is that like I could just do it whenever, right? Oh, I know. Or like some what I've found is like I'll do it while listening while I'm like going on walks. And yeah. I end up listening to half one day and half like later in the day or the next day. Yeah. So, like I yeah. might start out listening in the morning, but then I finish at night. So I know nice. I have a lot of podcasts that I'm listening to simply because I just I don't have a commute anymore. But then I was like, I'm going to buy President Obama's latest book and I'm going to you know listen to it. And I'm like, I don't even have time to listen. But like, yeah, you find those little times to be able to listen like to it. Like spare moments, even yeah. if it's only five minutes. Yeah, time. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully you guys can take this episode in however you can, because we are very excited to have Carlia Oldfather. She's the Directors of Operations for Stand Up for Kids. Carlia, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. So we were talking before, we had actually just had a little networking with some of the ladies in your office. And when we kind of heard about what you do and how you service children, we were like, we need to have somebody on. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. So can you Definitely. give our listeners a little bit of background as to what Stand Up For Kids is, and then maybe talk a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself um, at the organization? We at Stand Up For Kids are a nonprofit national organization serving youth who are experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness between the ages of 12 and 24. We have 20 chapters throughout the nation, and so I belong to the Orange County chapter, which has been providing youth in need with a sense of safety, hope, and belonging since 2003. Personally, I started with Stand Up For Kids five years ago. I was, this was my, after I got out of the military, this was, I was trying to finish school uh, in human resources, doing oh, my bachelor's nice. in human services. Yeah. And this was my second internship, second and last internship for school. Oh, and I couldn't leave. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. No, we always tell yeah. law school students, you know, take as many internships as you can. And, and, you know, some schools really try to get you on that track by your second year. That's basically where you're going to end up working. But you really learn a lot being an intern, right? And doing yes. and, and like really the ins and outs mm -hmm. of the organization. It sounds like, I mean, it was your second one. So it sounds like it was already an area of interest to you. And then, yeah, they just kind of, they kept you around. And the fact that I can see the work and I can see the result of our work, I mean, that really speaks to the need that I have to serve others. Yeah. I really wasn't focused on youth particularly, although mm. I always love to work with youth, but never like this. And yeah. I, to see the work and to see the results, I couldn't leave. I felt very, very, very connected to the mission. And that's always important, especially with working for kids, that you have that connection and that passion with it. So I know I was reading, uh, before we get into what Santa for Kids does and, and how people get involved. Can you talk a little bit about the homelessness problem? I mean, I guess you could talk a little bit about 
in the United States, but you could specifically talk about Orange County and just how big of a problem this is. Absolutely. So I'm going to focus on Orange County when we talk about the need in our community here in Orange County. And so youth homelessness can be very difficult to quantify, Mm. right? In Orange County, that number, you know, we have estimated uh, around 31,000 homeless and McKinney Vento youth between the ages of 12 and 24 here in Orange County. And this estimate comes from, for example, each elementary, middle, and high school in California. They annually count the numbers of students in each school that meet the McKinney-Vento requirements. And I'll talk a little bit about that later when I'm talking about what we do so there's better understanding what McKinney-Vento is. The Orange County Department of Education collects and reports this data. And so according to that data, the high schools and middle schools reported a number of 16,601 youth wow. that follow under this category of homelessness or definition of homelessness. Now, you have to remember this is a conservative estimate because mm-hmm. the 12 to 18 year old population in Orange County do not want to self-identify. Mm. So there may be a lot of other uh, right. youth that are not being counted, right? And then on top of that, We have our college-age homeless, 18 to 24, Ah. where this was a study that was performed by the UC Irvine and CSU uh, Fullerton regarding and nine other community colleges in the county. And Mm. the approximate number was 13,725 college students. Oh, wow. And so those two numbers, right, plus the pit count, which is there's a national count of homelessness, right? We count our homeless that are literally under the streets or in shelters. And so that count was, I believe, uh, 68,000 in general. And I believe, I don't have the number exactly for youth, but when you add all those three, that gives us the 31,000 youth that have been counted one way or another between the ages of 12 and 24. So there is a huge need in our county, even though we don't see it. Because our homeless youth, If you think about homelessness, what is it that you think about normally? Most people probably think about like completely on the street, like that we have like Mm Tent City in LA and we also have one in Orange County. And we think about the older population, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But our kids, if you meet our kids, they like, I have, like I said, I have four children. They look like my 21 year old, like my 13 year old, like my 12 year old. Yeah. So they're really hard to identify because they're very resourceful. Right. And they couch surf or they'll go ahead and, you know, panhandle $10 and then get a membership in a gym to take a shower. I mean, they're very resourceful. Right. And so that's what makes it really hard to find. But that's why, you know, that's why our focus is on youth homelessness. Because it's a population that is sometimes, you know, it's invisible. Absolutely. And especially those children that are resourceful and want to keep up appearances, right? I feel like there's a shift in middle school with (laughs) with wanting to be like everyone else. So they really, like you had said, you know, maybe if they're older getting, you know, gym membership so they can shower just so that they can look, you know, put together, right? And I would love to kind of, so just as like a broad perspective of the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistant Act of 1987, the full name, I actually just, 
I didn't even know that that was the full name. I just referred to it as Bikini Bento. When I was at public council for my first <laughs> internship, I had done a lot of research and uh, did oh. a parent like resource information about it. I mean, Amanda and I obviously deal with it on a somewhat daily basis with some of our kiddos. So it was essentially just the federal law, right, that provides federal money for homeless shelter programs. And then under that, we had set definitions for our kiddos and homeless. So I'll talk okay. to, you know, what Amanda and I are most familiar with. And it is in regards to that definition of homeless. And if that child falls under, then... If they started in X school district, but are in a shelter in Y school district to maintain some stability, the child should still be able to attend X school district without having to provide proof of residency. We've dealt with it uh -huh. where, you know, the district is trying to, they're not wanting to give the IEP, you know, because technically speaking, if a child moves out of X district into Y district, Y district is now responsible to provide the support and services in the IEP. However, sure. we have the McKinney-Vinto Act that for our kiddos, especially, that is not applicable. And the reasoning behind it was to provide some stability because sometimes these kiddos are shifting around either to different shelters with one parent or even different, you know, we have the term couch surfing, right, for some of the older youth. So is that the context in which you're dealing with the McKinnon-Vinto Act, or is there kind of a yes, broader range? Absolutely. And our motel families as yes. well, right? So yes, yes, you definitely nailed it, right? Because that is that is a venue that, you know, our youth and other parents in need try to take advantage of. And so, yes, it is right. to maintain that normalcy. Yeah. But there's a lot of support. Once the youth is identified, for example, a high schooler can graduate with less credits that a person, that a youth that is not identified making eventual. So there's a lot of different good support there, but they have to be identified, right? That's the key. Do you find students, I guess we would think of support, right? Helping some of these students graduate. Do you see any students getting what we would say like pushed out of schools because of that? Because we get that with special education students where the school will say, you know, hey, you know, we can give you this assistance. You can graduate early. You don't have to have as many credits. And it seems great. But to a certain extent, being robbed of that education, do you ever see students that like want to try to, you know, complete all the credits and they, they oh, see that yes. pressure from the school district? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I don't think they get pressure. It's just an option. Right. So, for example, and I'm kind of digging into our programs, but we have a program called Roadmap to Success, RMPS, where we provide high school students with mentoring. Of course, this is pre-COVID, baby. <laughs> um, this is pre-COVID, of course, when we could be face to face with our youth. For example, where we were at a continuation school, high school in Huntington Beach. Right. And so we would meet with our youth and we would encourage, you know, the focus was education, graduation, truancy reduction, right, career and employment counseling. And of course, providing them with the basic needs that they needed at that time when we met them where they were at. So all of this, the thing is that when we're working with youth, we have to provide a holistic approach. It cannot be just employment because there's a lot of other needs that they have that need to be addressed. Mental health is a huge one. For example, we don't have a clinician 
and our staff, but we have identified the need mm -hmm. of mental health for our youth. And so we partner with members of our community. We're really big in partnering with members of our community and other organizations so that we can create a direct pipeline from our youth to the mental health services providers so that they have that direct access. For example. Absolutely. And I think that just to the overarching even theme of a homeless person, right, is that mental health component. I had mm -hmm. read an article Absolutely. talking about the Reagan era in the 80s closing down a lot of the mental health institutions that not all of them were great. I'm not mm -hmm. saying they were great, but a lot of those people were displaced. And so then we have this kind of generational trauma even, but you know, and I had attended a workshop at UCI a few years ago, and one of the speakers was talking and very simply, just like you did, like, oh, what do you think of when you think of homelessness? And they were talking about, I believe maybe Stanford, don't quote me on that, had done a research and it was like the part of your brain that like sees a homeless person because of cultural grooming or stereotypes, like you automatically not you, I, the people that they were researching, like that part of the brain mm -hmm. of like disgust, like not even looking at these people as humans was like uh -huh. super high. And, you yeah. know, when we talk about this and especially, you know, I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's our youth. Yeah, we definitely need to help out. But it is generational at times for some people. It's a way of life and or it gets them on a track that is very hard to get off of, right? We see all the time the school to prison pipeline. It is very real. It is very much something that touches our clients' lives for different reasons. And I'm sure you see it as well. But that's what's so great about your organization and the fact that you're able to really focus in on this special population because I don't think enough people understand the severity of the issue, especially in Orange County. <laughs> you wouldn't believe, you know, we do a lot of community outreach so that we create awareness in our community, not only to be able to be strong enough to serve more youth with volunteers and all that and donations, but also so that we can find our youth, right? And get girls. And you would be surprised how I've had individuals share with me, oh, you sell homeless kids that are 21? Well, I had a house and I was married at 21. Uh, so they just need to go get out and go to work. Uh, and my heart mm, hurts so much because yeah. they're just, they're not aware of the critical, you know, environments our youth have grown in, right? Or exposed to trauma. And so that's just, again, ignorance, right? Not knowing about the topic. And that's why this is so important for us to share about our youth and the work that we do. Like the awareness component, right? Yes, right. Definitely. I know. I think when we talk about all different special populations with people that are, I guess, of the general population that aren't like living, breathing, sleeping this like we are, right? We're, if we're in this all the time as you are. When we talk about it. It often is just like you said at the beginning of the episode, most people think of one thing and they don't realize how it spans to so many more people, how it impacts so many more people. And not just the individual youth, but the families that in some cases are homeless themselves, in other cases are trying to help. You know, we get runaways sometimes. We get all different situations from all different walks of life. And I think a lot of people think, well, it doesn't affect me or this wouldn't be my child. But 
you just never know when something, you know, can impact you. So I think it is so important to get that awareness out, not just that this is a problem that exists, not just in different parts of the country, but, you know, here locally, if you live in Orange County, it's, you know, it's there. So I know a lot of times when we do like awareness, we get people who want to get involved. They might, you know, have someone in their lives that have been through this and they want to help. Is there a way that, you know, people who are are listening, if they want to get involved and help volunteer, donate, how can people get involved with the organization? Oh, absolutely. So one of the ways would be to call our customers office. And this can be either to, you know, share that they know somebody that could use their help or to get more information on donations about our, our, you know, our programs and our work. That's 714-356-5437. So that's 714-356-5437. And of course, you can always, you know, find a lot of information and including donating online at www.standupforkids.org forward slash Orange County. And you had mentioned that it's actually like this nonprofit is like nationwide. So someone could be listening in another state and essentially Google to see if they have an organization near them. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We have 20 chapters, including ours. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. How Mm -hmm. has COVID kind of impacted the landscape for you? Right? (laughs) I know that's a loaded question, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, that's a loaded question. I mean, it definitely did when... You know, right before COVID, we have rented our second office space. We were in San Ana and we moved to Costa Mesa to a better space to serve our youth. And right after that, we're getting calls that schools are closing. You know, the centers that we work out of are closing. And so we went into planning mode because we had youth that we're currently serving. And all of a sudden, nobody can leave the house and we need to start closing. So we moved all of our programs virtually. And so we, you know, out of COVID, we pivoted, and I know you've heard that word a lot. Um, We pivoted from a face-to-face services to a virtual world where we still met with our youth virtually. If they didn't have, for example, the tools to meet with us, a phone or a Chromebook, we will facilitate that to them which is one of the things that we offer as well. Oh, and my class, right? Yeah. So, so we quickly uh, shifted to that. You know, we couldn't go to the grocery store. It was, you know, before we would get a gift card and get groceries for our youth. And then we were so lucky that we had a partner agency reach out to us and say, hey, do you guys want a freezer and a refrigerator? And we'll fill it for you. Oh, so that my you can, God. Uh, feed your youth. And we were like, are you kidding me? Right. So absolutely. So then from that, we deliver program kind of just popped up out of our heads and this opportunity. So right now, even after, you know, in the midst of opening more the county and hopefully, you know, going back to a face-to-face world, again, we are providing our youth with weekly delivery of grocery, meats, you know, milk, eggs, produce. Oh, and wow. So it's really exciting that you know, and volunteers. Oh, my Lord. I mean, the amount of individuals that had the heart and not only the heart and the willingness, but they were home. Yeah, they were homebound. Yeah. So they need they had this need to serve. Mm-hmm. And we I mean, our volunteer strength grew. We had volunteers from Boston, from oh, Chicago wow. serving. Wow. Like that was so cool. It was amazing. And I think, so in the midst of challenges, right, yeah. in, in the midst of the crisis, 
you know, we came together as a team because we knew we were all our youth had. Right. And I think that was something, you know, Amanda and I do this for a living and assisting our clients, but there was something more imperative about helping them during this time. It's like, you want to just, you don't know how you're feeling about everything that's happening, you know, to your life, to your job, you're homebound, you're scared. And it was for a lot of people, what was heartwarming is that they went outside of themselves to help others. And what better population to try and serve, right, than our youth that needed that. And oh my gosh, what a sigh of relief when you got that fridge and then it was stocked. Oh, we couldn't believe it. It was like right before COVID hit. And it was like, that's great. Yeah. We were so blessed. Yeah. Oh my God. I just like, yeah, those are the types of situations that I don't think that we hear enough about. I think everybody's trying to rush back to how it was pre-COVID and how you had said, like, you wouldn't have gotten volunteers from Boston or Chicago, like, but for COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that maintains. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to, like, so on your website, I had seen, I think a statistic is an amazing statistic. I think it was like 90% of your high school seniors graduated. And either went on to yes. college or full-time employment. And those were 2020 wow. numbers, which is amazing. I Yes. Like, that. I mean, that's just a testament. I mean, there's just so many of the youth that we work with, you know, that I wish that statistic was that high. <laughs> and Yeah. You know, <clears throat> that has a lot to do with our four pillars of service. So, you know, we have street outreach where we go to the streets, we look for our youth, and we meet them where they're at, and we make sure we get them out of that homelessness situation within the first 24 hours of connecting with them. So that's step one, right? That's our first pillar. Second pillar is outreach centers, having a place, and obviously COVID threw a wrench at that, right? But we're still going to be reopening as this county continues to open and the centers start opening for us to continue our programming face-to-face. But outreach centers is to provide a place, a safe place to meet and mentor them, right? Mm-hmm. And provide them with basic needs to help them become self-sufficient and stay that way. And then there's, this is my, to me, it's one of the most important ones is mentoring. To me, it is so critical because we provide our youth with a caring adult that meets our youth to guide them and walk them out and walk alongside them through their journey to self-sufficiency. Right. So that they can move, you know, from surviving to thriving as fast as possible. And during our group and one on one mentoring sessions virtually now. Right. We work diligently opportunities, you know, IDs, employment, employment readiness, career counseling, computer access, all that, all that. But we are equipping them so that they don't need us the next time. That's the goal. Right. Right. They do not need us. You're building that foundation rather than. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important too, because, you know, there's organizations out there that, you know, provide assistance on like a day to like, you know, a one day, one time basis where, you know, individual has to go to them. And like, as this is more to that than that, because, you know, helping one day to, you know, give a meal or, you know, give clothes. There's a lot of organizations that do that, right? They come and my grandma works at a center for foster youth where families can come and they can get, um, you know, clothes and stuff when they're just placed into a new home. 
but that's like a one-time deal. Right. And you know, with these youth in order to really get them on the right track for their future, because it's not just, you know, they need help this day. It's getting them on that track. I think the mentoring is key. Absolutely. And, you know, we have youth that, that are very quick and very eager. And we have youth that need a little bit more hand holding. Yeah. And so we meet them where they're at because again, you know, we're all very different, mm-hmm. right? We have different experiences that so we have cope with our experiences in a very unique way. And, you know, we do have youth that have substance abuse, mm-hmm. you know, issues. We have youth that do not, mm-hmm. right? But they're mm-hmm. still experiencing homelessness. So again, it's, it's finding out what their specific needs are and provide them with that support and that knowledge and, you know, skills and tools that they need to do it on their own. Absolutely. And that's why we saw so much overlap (laughs) between your values and core mission statement and Amanda and I strive to do with a lot of the IEP teams. And so we were just really excited to have one of our own, especially in Orange County, come on and, and kind of spread the knowledge about what you guys are doing and how people can get involved and I know Amanda asked for that information of how to contact Stand Up For Kids, and we'll have that in the show notes. I'm kind of putting you on the spot, Carlia, but do you have maybe a story about a particular youth? I know you've kind of alluded to a couple already, and we were talking about the high school, but we like to have some of our guests kind of end on one memory that kind of stands out, one kiddo that stands out to them. Well, I'll talk to you about one of our youth. She is was a DACA recipient, right? And she okay. was in yeah. her 20s when we met her. Okay. As a DACA recipient, you know, unfortunately, because, you know, substance abuse and homelessness, she had let it um, expire. And so we serve all of our youth, regardless of immigration status, right? So we connected with her, we, you know, made sure she was, you know, focusing on her sobriety, she was always very closed down and didn't want to share. And so the first time I met her, I remember our executive director, Justine, told me to take her to a nonprofit that can help with immigration status and all that. They had lawyers and everything. So I went ahead and took her and she was very closed off. And so at the end of the night, after we had a conversation, I took her, you know, to eat dinner. And then we went back and I dropped her off at her, you know, sober and residence, right? She gave me a hug. And so, you know, to this day, and this is, I want to say, wow, this is the beginning. So I want to say four years ago is when I met her. And to this day, she is actually married. She uh, was part of our advisory board for Orange County. It's a staff member for our outreach team right now. And she's going to be moving to buy a home in Arizona. So wow, right? What to see her from, from the beginning and to see how, you know, with love, because it, right. it really comes from love, right? Absolutely. How with love, somebody can thrive. Mm-hmm. And that is something that everybody can experience. So this is why we believe in every one of our kids and we love them until they love themselves. Oh, I love that. And it's those early ones that stick with you, right? <laughs> like, I, it really, because it sounds like, you know, that happened early on and, and that's what gets you through, you know, the tougher cases and... I just, exactly what you said, you know, creating those opportunities that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. And I think talking about love in that way and 
loving them until they love themselves is something that we don't talk about enough. So I really enjoyed when you had said that because that is the core of what you do and what we do. But, you know, as lawyers, we have to talk about like, blah, 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 like this is the law, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> but, but yes, I, I hope course. it comes. Amanda and I always get like, yes, you're so passionate, course, you're so passionate. Course. And it's just like, oh, okay. But, you know, <laughs> we are. But well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. But why isn't everyone, right? So we've totally enjoyed your time. Thank you so much right. for coming that on. Exactly. Right. Right. But Carlia, we thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on and telling our listeners about Stand Up for Kids. You guys go online, check them out. I'm sure that you'll have a chapter near you. And if you have any questions, yeah, feel free to reach out to Carlia. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And Amanda and I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>